When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Adam Holland. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing well. Always excited when hoops start back up. And you couple that with how well we're doing in football and it makes for a good time of year. Uh, yeah, the women and the men, uh, both got started today. Um, uh, let's start off talking about, um, the women's game against, uh, Northwestern, a power five team ostensibly. Uh, although at times when I was watching that, this game, uh, as sometimes happens in women's basketball, uh, you know, when you have, uh, a team in the upper echelon as I think Oregon, uh, is, and will be, um, you know, playing, literally anybody else you know it kind of doesn't matter they could be playing a high school jv team um they really uh mopped the floor with northwestern huh yeah that was kind of over before it began which is uh which is good to see see them establish themselves uh considering kind of everything that happened lately um and and who who they were bringing back and how good their team was uh, it was definitely a, a pretty good performance in the opener there and uh the fact that it was kind of a uh, spearheaded by freshmen is also an encouraging sign well and they played all 10 players you know on the team you know they're they're short one and they still you know got everybody you know through um uh, you know uh, primary you know primary minutes uh, we're going to tahina pow how uh, uh of course um but we uh got to look at uh, chance gray um india rogers of course the other you know big returner from last year um and then uh you know i was pretty excited to see uh, grace van Sluten and uh, filipina k uh who are like boy when you talk about bigs like those are bigs you know yeah and then yeah, and then uh, uh, we also saw a lot of Jenna Sai and uh, and Ty Hansen. Um, I hell we we saw everybody. We saw you know Taylor Hosendove and, and and Elise Hurst and, and and even I think six minutes for Kennedy Basham. Uh, you know the you know really you know emptied it out. Um, uh, any, anybody in particular stand out to you as a surprise or you know someone who's pretty exciting? Well, I, I think um, that uh, Van Sluten was definitely uh, a, a welcome. Uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say necessarily surprise, but just a you know a welcome debut for her. Um, I think that after losing Sedona Prince, which was a huge blow to the team, you know, to have uh, uh, another big come in, step up in that spotlight, and show that uh, they're still pretty pretty loaded in the front court as far as size and skill goes. I think that goes a long way and um, how they're going to play because uh, it's kind of been ever since, uh, you know, the departure of the, uh, of the dream team in 2020, it's kind of been their, their forte is, is having a, you know, the, the bigs in there having that size. And uh, so um, if, if Van Sluten's going to be kind of like the next dominant big for Oregon women's basketball, she uh, definitely showed what she was made of in her, in her debut here. Well, and then regardless of the quality of competition, you know, you know, there's a couple stats that that tend to stand out, you know, that are like, uh, 
that's impressive even if you're playing against air, you know, or it's not affected by the defense, you know, so much, you know, so like three point shooting is, you know, tends to be much more about who you are than who your opponent is. Uh, Oregon shot, you know, nearly 50%, you know, from the arc, which was like quite a relief because I think in their last friendly, they only made one from behind the arc. Um, but they were nine for 19. Uh, Tia Hansen came in and, and shot three for five, you know, uh, Jenna Asai, um, were two for five, uh, Tahina Pauhau hit half of hers. Um, and then the other stat that I, you know, always look for, for like, you know, uh, just like, you know, putting in the time, you know, putting in the minutes and it doesn't matter who your opponent is free throw shooting. Um, Oregon was 19 for 23, uh, from the charity stripe. Um, Jenna Sai nine for 10, uh, she was getting fouled a lot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's how you win games, get to the stripe, make your free throws. And um, I think a, another encouraging sign was that you didn't really see a lot of, um, you know, uh, sloping in the second half. A lot of times, you know, when teams jump out to big leads early on, they can tend to kind of yeah. maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit, maybe get a little complacent. But uh, Oregon was dead even, 50 points in the first half, 50 points in the second half, or an even 100. And uh, that that shows a, a consistency that you want to see, uh, especially when you when you jump out to a lead that big. Um, I also really dug the uh, the amount of steals in this game. Uh, Is just you know they yeah they were playing an overmatched opponent, but they were really picking their pocket. Yeah, it's um it's 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 going to be imperative uh, that they shore up the the defensive issues they had last year. Um, I thought that. That was kind of one of one of their biggest problems, coupled maybe with just in general kind of like team chemistry and and and, and bonding as the season progressed. Um, I think that they need to shore up on the defensive end. Um, I think the defense is what helped carry them for the last several years, as far as being one of the more dominant teams in college basketball. Obviously, you know, with the, with the teams we had before, we're loaded with some very special talent. Uh, but that talent showed up on both ends of the floor. And, I mean, obviously that's what Graves is going to continue to preach. And if they show up with the kind of effort they showed up with tonight, uh, that's a good sign moving forward, especially since, like I said, the uh, just the, the number of departures, uh, the, you know, how, how thin the team was looking there. And, um, yeah, definitely an encouraging sign to see them take it to a Power 5 team no matter who it is. Well, they, they forced 21, uh, turnovers, you know, uh, they rebounded pretty well. Um, they, I mean, I mean, they li- limited Northwestern to, to about like 33% shooting from the floor, which like good, you know, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, the, you can't really ask for a better defensive performance than that, you know, against a power five opponent. Uh, I think that's probably all the data that we're going to get, you know, from a 100 to 57 blowout, um, uh, you, you know, I, for, for me more than anything else is just sort of like, Hey, you want to make sure that everybody's healthy. Um, and it does, it looks like, you know, like I didn't see any like limping or gimping, you know, or anything like that, you know, we're going to see all, all 10 ladies, uh, and all, you know, all played well, all took their shots, you know, you, you know, all systems goes for, you know, it looks like to me, do you see anything that concerned you at all out of this game? Not much so far. Uh, like I said, when you when you win by uh, forty plus points, there's not a whole lot to nitpick. Um, granted, like I said, the early early part of their schedule here is going to be kind of you know rose petals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as they get to the PK eighty five in a couple weeks, then you know they're really going to kind of find out what they're made of. Uh, but I think that's good. I think it gives them a few games just to kind of get their feet wet. Pardon the pun. 
and um, get, you know, and, and get some team chemistry going, understanding, you know, this new team and how to work together. And then, yeah, like I said, we'll uh, we'll definitely get a, a, a chance to see really what they're made of uh, shortly here at the end of the month uh, in Portland. And I'm looking forward to that. So good, good measuring stick. Well, before that happens, you know, on, on Saturday, uh, they're, um, they're welcoming Seattle, uh, to Eugene, um, not the university of Washington at Seattle, but the private university in Seattle. Um, uh, and then, uh, the following Monday, they're going down to Baton Rouge to play, uh, Southern university, which is, a uh, HBCU, um, uh, you know, sh- should be, you know, two relatively easy opponents as well. Although it will be, uh, you know, you, you know, getting in an early road trip all the way across the country, uh, you know, probably good, you know, like team chemistry, you know, kind of deal. Uh, you know, I, I, in the past I've seen Oregon like start out where the, they like basically don't leave the state for the first like two months, you know, yeah. the season. And like, I'm not real wild about that. So I was really glad to see that the, the Baton Rouge trip come up. Yeah. I think, I think that's uh, that's a, that's a good, um, bonding experience for them and whatnot. Uh, because like you noted, sometimes early in the season, they don't really leave the state other than this trip. Uh, down to Baton Rouge, they really are, you know, even if they're not leaving the state, they're staying primarily in the West Coast here, as even uh, through December, they're, you know, scheduled for uh, games in the San Diego Invitational. Yeah, Uh, but but like the PK-85 is obviously in Portland, where they're taking on, you know, North Carolina and then Eugene. So it's, yeah, yeah, they really are sticking close to home. So it's it's nice for them to have that experience of of kind of a long travel for an early season game. Yeah, I mean, they other than that trip to Baton Rouge, you know, they don't um, they don't leave a state that neighbors the Pacific Ocean until you know the year twenty twenty three when they go down to to play the Arizona schools in January. Um, so yeah, I'm actually going to be keeping my eye on on that you know performance on the road and make sure you know all, all that's working out. So the men's side uh, just finished up their game against FAMU, uh, Florida A&M from Tallahassee, um, uh, one of the HBCUs that, uh, the, you know, the Pac-12 has set up uh, an exchange with the SWAC. Um, so, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, uh, I actually really enjoyed watching fam. You play like that's a bunch of pretty athletic, uh, dudes. Um, uh, Oregon handled their business on the men's side pretty well, you know, against them. We got to see, you know, a, a pretty good cross section of the team, you know, even though this team sort of dealing with some early injuries, like we got to see uh, a lot of guys that we hadn't seen much of before who are new to the team. Uh, anybody stand out to you? Um, honestly, I uh, was very impressed with um, the bigs uh, once again. I thought that they kind of uh, really showed up in Canada over the summer. And um, I think the emergence of, uh, of Nate Biddle is, uh, is a welcome sign. I know he was a you know, very highly rated five-star recruit, uh, had a lot of potential coming in, and he kind of fell a little bit by the wayside uh, last year, kind of just got lost in the mix. Uh, but I think he's really starting to show in his second year around kind of what he's made of, how versatile he is offensively. And then obviously uh, give credit to Nafali Dante. He was, uh, he was one that I kind of did a little bit of a human interest piece on this past week as to, you know, kind of where he, where he came from, how, how it took his path to get to Oregon and everything. And now, you know, having a potential chance if he has a good season to become a, a, an NBA player potentially. 
And so, yeah, I, I definitely liked what I saw from the bigs. Like I said, we were a little, little shorthanded, uh, but then it was, you know, it was also great to see uh, Richardson get back out there. Um, like I said, that was another player that I really kind of hoped for a, a proper ending for him and uh, for him to come in and play well after the way he had to finish last season, having mono and everything. Uh, was a, a welcome sight. So yeah, aside from that, like I said, the, the play of the bigs really uh, definitely impressed me. And um, yeah, that's going to be key moving forward because like the women's team, uh, we we got some tall furs and uh, they're going to have to put in work this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we also got to say uh, Bartholomew, the, uh, the, the Colorado transfer uh, who played pretty well, um, you know, and uh, interval to soars, uh, of course. Um, uh, I like seeing uh, Kalel Ware uh, get out there, get some pretty significant minutes. Um, uh, def- Oregon could definitely be shooting better. You know, like it's, I know it's maybe a little weird to see in a game they scored 80 points, but like they had, you know, they definitely had the opportunity to push this past 100. And, you know, like they shot pretty poorly uh i think you know less than 50 percent from the floor um uh, only hit a quarter of their their uh uh three pointers and uh and really bad from the charity stripe 16 for 28 uh is that is that right yeah unfortunately it is <laughs> it was uh not an ideal shooting performance tonight by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that's exactly why it was so important that the big stepped up Uh, the three point shooting. Yeah, definitely going to need to be short up here. Uh, The, the, the the shooting was just terrible tonight. I think they were, they were below 25% on the night from uh, beyond the arc. And that's not going to get it done, especially in a conference like the PAC 12. Well, I mean, I'm glad they're getting it out of the system early. I mean, I did, I, I thought that, you know, the, the sort of the, the weird pattern under Dana, Dana Altman has been, you know, teams don't really like gel until late. I didn't really feel like I was seeing, you know, conflict on the score or on, on the floor or, you know, like guys missing assignments, you know, guys weren't, you know, out of position on the defensive assignments or anything like that. Um, I was just mostly just seeing the ball not going to the basket, um, which like, you know, you, you, you tend to get sharper as the year goes on, you know, like getting that out of your system early is probably for the best. Um, but like, you know, the, these guys are, I mean, it's not just the bigs, but the guys who aren't bigs are still big, you know, like that, you know, that was the thing that was sort of like astonishing when they're standing next to the FAMU players, just like, oh yeah, you know, Oregon's, you know, averaging, you know, I think, I think it's, a, you know, averages a six, four, um, you know, like it's, it, it is a really big team. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, ball handling, you know, the rebounding, like all the other stuff, you know, you know, assists ball movement, you know, unselfish play, like all of it looked excellent. It was just like, you know, damn ball needs to go in the basket, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, but that's good to see though. Like I said, uh, you're going to have off nights, um, it's good that it happened <laughs> in a game like this that they were in control of. Um, and if you're you're not shooting well, which is going to happen to everybody, no matter who you are, uh, your defense and rebounding has to carry you through. And fortunately, defense and rebounding uh, came through tonight. I didn't really see nearly as many problems with that. Granted, a big part of that probably has to do with what you were talking about, just the sheer size advantage they had. They weren't going to lose a lot of those. But I know that was a huge point of emphasis for Altman 
heading into the season um, was that uh, getting getting those rebounds on the defensive end because uh, offensive rebounding by other teams killed Oregon in so many close games last year. And uh, to, to really shore that up is going to be definitely a top priority. And uh, it, it looked good. We'll see how it looks once the teams uh, get bigger, get beefier, and a little more dominant on the block. But I, I like what I saw so far. Well, they've got uh, UC Irvine on Friday, um, Montana State on Tuesday, and then uh, Houston comes to town uh, uh, next Sunday, the 20th, um, a game on ESPN. And then they got uh, UConn uh, a couple days after that. So, um, you know, the schedule actually, you know, gets uh, Oregon a couple of pretty interesting uh, opponents uh, early on here in November. Um uh, but with a couple more, you know, tune-up games uh, before that. So I'm looking forward to the way the schedule lays out. Yeah, and the thing that I'm really looking forward to heading into those bigger matchups too is uh, seeing our, our uh, 2023 class get on the floor. Um, you know, we, we, we saw Kalel, uh, you know, Kalel Ware get out there and, and make a difference and whatnot. Uh, but it's it's definitely want to take a look at some of the uh, other new recruits, too, that didn't get a chance to play yet. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk about the football team's trip down to Boulder. All right, Adam, what you would you think about the Ducks uh, play, taking on Colorado? Well, the good thing is, is that uh, it, it was pretty much what I expected it would be. Um, Colorado is a bottom dweller in the conference and they are so for a reason. Uh, they, they really just do not have a good flow to their offense. Their, their pass defense is terrible. Um, I know there was a little bit of a bulletin material even provided from them earlier in the week, which really makes no sense when you're going to a game where you're that overmatched, uh, kind of in, implying that. Well, we can we can stop Oregon up the middle easily, so you know, we, like they'll have to throw it. Uh, they did throw it. Uh, Nick's had no problem doing that, and uh, also Kenny Dillingham didn't have any problem pulling some uh, tricks out of the hat. And I think that you know it may have been. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was maybe a little bit of animosity to that, maybe trying to you know kind of let Colorado know what's up after what they said. But uh, I'll take it. Uh, one thing I can say is that uh, for the first time in, in, in quite a while, probably even uh, before Mario Cristobal showed up, Oregon's offense is uh, innovative and extremely fun and entertaining to watch again. Uh, yeah, trick plays get headlines. It, 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 you know, certainly fun. It, it sets some stuff up like the, you know, the 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 halfback, you know, throw to the quarterback is all, you know, is fun stuff. Um, the other two, you know, you can classify them as trick plays as, if you want, but like those are those are legitimate every play options. You know, like you know they they. They, they didn't just like on a whims, you know, stick Connerly in an eligible uniform like they that that uniform was made for him, you know, like that number 94 eligible uniform. It's got his name on the plate. It's, you know, just like everybody else's uniform, like they were they were planning on doing that. And I, I and if you check it out for the rest of the game, every time that he came in, he was wearing num- number 94, you know, even when it was just like an I formation, you know, 23 personnel jumbo, you know, uh, you know, look so like I. 
I think they'll probably do that instead of having wear number 76 from now on. Um, he'll probably travel with the 76 jersey, or I guess they're not traveling until the end of the year, but like they'll have it on hand. Um, you know, just because, uh, uh, you know, somebody gets hurt, you know, is one of the tackle spots, probably, you know, his job um, to, to come in and play tackle at this point, which pretty cool. Five star true freshman to be playing, um, you know, a tackle if that winds up happening. Um, uh, but like, yeah, you know, that's legit. That's a legit new wrinkle to the to the I formation. You know, I, I after the UCLA game, they had run eight different plays out of the I formation. Well, this was the ninth, you know, that little, you know, the pass to the quote unquote tight end. Um, and then the fullback dive uh, fr- from uh, from Noah Sewell, like, you know, why not? You know, like, you know there's no reason why you can't line him up like in a short yard situation. Um, uh, in fact, the play before when, which was a, a quarterback sneak, one of the very rare times in which Oregon has failed on a quarterback sneak. Sewell was in on that play too. You know, he was, you know, trying to give that push, you know, to get Nick's over the line. Um, so like, you know, as fun as trick plays are like, it's not just a, you know, yeah, they're 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 putting trick plays on film for future opponents to have to waste time, you know, trying to deal with. But like, I don't necessarily think that those plays are like one trick pony plays, you know, either like, you know, th- those weren't just for fun. I think those are like serious, actual, you know, developments to the playbook that you, you will probably see in the future, which rad, you know, yeah. like I've definitely like as the film reviewer, it's definitely been super fun to, you know, for to like every week to see the playbook expand by a couple of plays like cool. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Uh, Sewell, yeah, it was, was multifaceted coming into, uh, you know, UO. I mean, obviously, set him up at linebacker. He's, you know, excelling at that position and whatnot. But the fact of the matter is, is he was just a multi, he's a multi-talented athlete. Um, the guy, the guy played multiple positions in high school um, and excelled at all those positions. And he, he is kind of Mr. Do-it-all. And I really think that this is the right time for him to start to heat up uh, because I think earlier in the season, maybe we weren't quite seeing as much out of him as we had previously, uh, especially last year. And I think that he's really starting to kind of find his groove again. And that's, that's, that's not good news for opponents um, because Sewell is definitely a unique specimen. And with his closing speed and his ability to catch people on the outside, it makes him a, a double threat for sure. And so I mean, Why yeah, not I mean, him a little bit on the offense. He almost had a pick six in this game. Uh, it would have been cool for him to get two two touchdowns in the same game on opposite sides of the ball. Um, yeah, that play was at the 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 near interception that he had was actually pretty interesting because well, it was one of the things that I found going back and doing film study of Colorado. My article is going to be published in the morning. Um, we're we're recording on Monday night. Uh, this episode will. I don't know. I actually might delay this episode and release it on Wednesday, but whatever. Uh, One of the things that I noticed was that Colorado, especially in their first drive, was busting out a bunch of new stuff they'd never done before. Um, uh, uh, Actually, like five different things that they had never done before. Like they were really throwing some like kitchen sink, you know, like Kenny Dillingham was not the only one who was doing fun, weird new stuff. Um, 
So like they were lining up in six offensive line uh, uh, personnel uh, formations, which I, I know that Oregon does on its, you know, I formation, but they were doing on like, a, you know, a lot of formations. And in fact, they were throwing out of it mostly. So it sort of made it a double surprise because, you know, and so like one of the things that they do, it was actually like the very first play of the game um, was they lined up in, in a six offensive lineman uh, formation, including the, the trash talking uh, offensive lineman. You know, that, that was the funny thing about that dude who, was talking some trash is that he's like a backup offensive lineman he's like the guy that they rotate at, at left tackle where they're like well you know we'll, we'll just use all six of you guys so he's in as the extra dude um and uh so anyway it looks like it's going to be a run play and sewell crashes inside because of like of course it's going to be a run I mean, you've got like six offensive linemen and then it turns out that the tight end you know is actually lined up as an h-back you know runs out to the sideline catches a little screen pass and then he gets like eight yards you know on it and like sewell's the guy who would be covering that dude um but he's not he's crashing inside on the run well on their second possession they line up in the exact same formation um with the exact same like tight end to the wide side of the field and sewell like picks up on it, you know, like he, he, you know, aha, the light bulb goes off and that, and, and, and he starts to crash inside. Like he starts to show exactly the same reaction that, you know, so it's, you know, it's an RPO pulled into that H back screen. And so the quarterback goes ahead and does it. And then like, he's, so he's not only smart enough to recognize it and he's not only smart enough to bait him into throwing it, but he's fast and athletic enough to then reverse and go outside and, you know, get in the way of that ball and break it up and almost like pick it off and run it back for, for a touchdown. Like, um, yeah, you know, like, you know, the, the halfback or the fullback dive is, is real fun. That was his most impressive play of the day uh, was, you know, doing what he's supposed to be doing, you know, as a defensive player. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was a little, a, a little disappointed um, with uh, the, the, the call on, on Hill. I wasn't mm-hmm. completely sure that was, that was warranted. Uh yeah, so I didn't really good. feel like we got a great angle on that one. Like yeah. the, all the angles that we got from the broadcast, which is like not perfect. Colorado Stadium is sometimes frustrating <laughs> from where the cameras are set up. Like you often there's a, there's ser- several sections of the field where you, the cameras do not cover very well. And that's yeah. one of them. And like I could. So, so from the camera angles that we got, it really just sort of looked like like hill is standing there and the receiver jumps and lands so that like you know he lands on top of jamal hill's helmet <laughs> it's yeah. like well that's mm-hmm. not a launch like um but i don't know maybe if we had like a field level camera you know we would have seen it so, so that's yeah. something that the ref saw so i, I don't know like i think it sets us up for an interesting opportunity though um considering that he'll have to miss the first half against washington um a very pass happy team Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really sets up a good opportunity uh, for a, a player that I've had my eye on since we were recruiting him uh, in uh, Jalil Florence. Um, I think that the the some of the you know time that he's seen this year, he's shown flashes of being a, a truly potentially elite defensive back. And now uh, with with Hill, the starter, having to miss at least the first half and um, needing to be you know covered. That's uh, he's he's going to get picked on, and uh, I think this is his chance to show up. I mean, you know, he I I was really pleased when we got him. I really, after watching the tape of him and everything, think that he has elite defensive back potential. 
And I'm excited to see how he'll do in a uh, in an environment like this at Austin, huge rivalry game heading into November, you know, crunch time. Uh, it's going to be a big opportunity for him, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, yeah, that is going to be an interesting question. We'll, we'll talk more about the Washington game in the next segment, but like um, the way that they dealt with it in this game, I think you may be right about them trying to put three cornerbacks on the field against Washington because it's such a pass-heavy team, and they've got three good wide receivers, and they basically never throw it to the to the tight ends. Again, we'll talk about more more about this later. You may be right about that. The way they handled it differently in this game um, because, like, they you know, Colorado does like to throw the ball to their tight end quite a bit. Um, yep. And so they wanted to use, you know, sort of the more traditional, their more traditional nickel look, which like, boy, coming up, if that, that, that phrase wouldn't make any sense to me, but like, this is the year 2022 and now it does. Um, where uh, uh, with Hill out, what they did was they took Bennett Williams down from one of the high safety spots and they put him in at nickel, at which he's great. You know, like I've got, I mean, frankly, I actually like Bennett Williams at nickel more than I like Jamal Hill at nickel, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. And then they took, and then they replaced Williams at the high safety with their usual dime safety guy, who's um, um, Addison, number 13. And uh, Addison's been playing some pretty good games lately. Um, I actually think that's a more reliable, like, this is going to sound like dangerously close to like trash talk about Jamal Hill, and it is not. Although, and I really hope that he is available um, to play against Utah because they really need somebody who's big, who can challenge their tight end because basically they don't, they only have like two guys that can throw the ball to and and uh so yeah but anyway um uh i actually in this game and probably against washington or i don't know we'll we'll see but at least you know in games like this and probably oregon state is the other one that sort of like their offensive profile in terms of their passing attack looks more like colorado um i actually like the um the Williams as nickel Addison as high safety configuration better than I like the um, Hill at nickel and Williams at high safety configuration. So like, I, you know, I sort of didn't think that the, the Hill ejection, like, I mean, it sucked. I, I'm not saying that it didn't suck, but like, I actually sort of thought there was a silver lining to it, um, at least for the purposes of this game. Um, yeah. And we'll see what they do for Washington. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. And then offensively, um, I think that uh, we're really starting to establish that uh, that that one-two punch of uh, Knicks and Irving. Um, really, the, the, the amount of production I've seen from both of them is surpassing anything I expected, um, yeah. particularly yeah. Knicks. Uh, to be honest, I think that – with uh, Tennessee's loss and Hooker's performance that I think Knicks should definitely be in consideration, at least as a dark horse Heisman candidate at this point. Um, uh, he is having fun. Um, yeah. I mean, his, um, you know, you can, you can look at the flash of his plays, which is great. And he's got, you know, plenty of flash and flair, but um, I think it's his consistency with his completion percentage. Uh, the guy is just on target. Oh yeah, and um, he, I think he's literally the number one most uh, accurate quarterback in FBS this year, um, yeah. right now. You know, uh, uh, like just in terms of completion percentage, which like I don't love completion percentage as a stat. It's sort of a, it's not a great stat for a lot of different reasons. It's at best suggestive, but like, um, no, he's super accurate. 
like uh and like you know the folks who watch film and grade and actually like hand out a catchable ball you know grade you know like you were throwing the ball into the your receiver's catch radius is like is off the charts like he is just you know he's not missing and like coming off of last year with anthony brown i'm like i'm not really interested in piling on anthony brown or or, or the previous staff but like just having a quarterback who hits his passes you know like yeah throw the ball where it's supposed to be great and the other thing that's interesting about this game um is that and it's sort of i think for different reasons so when they played Cal last week, Cal had a concerted defensive strategy and actually some, de- you know, a, a, a some decent personnel and a coach who for like five years have been has been pushing this or six years, um, which is don't give up explosive plays. Um, don't, don't give up explosive runs. Don't give up explosive um, uh, 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 passes. And um, and so Oregon against Cal. Uh, even though the, you know, the weather was gorgeous, um, Oregon was really just hitting short passes, but then like there was some real, like Kenny Dillingham, like cleverness that I was tipping my hat to in my article last week, wrapping up, you know, the game against Cal that was like, they were throwing short passes, but they were in, in such a way that like manipulated the defense to create, you know, open space for dudes to run into. Um, with like lead blockers ahead of them so that like a three yard pass would gain 30 yards rather than having to throw 30 yard, you know, air yard passes. And so it was interesting watching the Colorado game where Colorado's uh, defensive personnel is probably not the same as Cal's and they certainly have had less time to get the philosophy and they've had, you know, three games with the interim staff. Um, But like, you know, through between a defensive philosophy that is also trying to take away explosive passes, you know, they back out, play cover too a lot. Um, and uh, the fact that Oregon was down, you know, resting a couple of uh, receivers, you know, some, in- you know, like Chase Cota didn't play in this game. And then uh, Franklin played sparingly in this game. It looked like he was on a pitch count. Um, you know, they were playing like a third of the, their snaps in like 12 personnel. You know, a lot of these passes were going to tight ends and running backs. And it was a lot of sort of short stuff. And then the other thing was, was windy. You know, they really only only threw one deep downfield pass. It was that, you know, flag route um, to, to Chris Hudson. And, uh, and you know, Rod Gilmore said, oh, the wind caught it and blew it as an overthrow. And I guess I'll believe him, uh, <laughs> you know, but that was it. That was everything else was like crossing routes, seam routes, you know, uh, uh, you know, d- little dump offs to the flat, a couple of screens. Um, you know, they were really, you know, throwing it fairly short. In fact, there's a clip that's going to be in my article where, like, I think the post route to Troy Franklin is wide open and Nix doesn't hit it. He just throws a, a, a little crosser to, I think, Terrence Ferguson. Um, and, you know, maybe that's deliberate. Maybe that's the wind. Maybe that's, you know, resting receivers. You know, who knows? Um, but, like, Oregon was doing all the damage that they were doing with short routes. And not even, like, the super clever stuff. The, the reason why I set that up by talking about Cal was that against Cal, I thought they were being super clever and deliberately engineering, you know, plays that were short passes that would go big. In this game, it was a bunch of short passes, but they, it, I don't 
I'm not saying that they were stupid or anything like the throw was there. They were appropriate throws, but like they weren't that like I, I wasn't like, you know, getting hot and bothered about it the way that I was getting hot and bothered watching the Cal film. It was just like that's just a standard check down throw. You know, that's just a yeah. standard little crosser or seam route or whatever. Um, and they were just sort of like taking advantage of their athletic, you know, taking advantage of their athletic, you know, advantages over Colorado. So like another clip that's going to be in my article is he hits a seam route to uh, to Patrick Herbert where like the only the only dude that can stop him after he catches the ball well first of all like they catch Colorado like not knowing whether they want to blitz or not so they're hitting a seam route against an inside linebacker who already can't cover very well that was good film study by the Ducks like they picked up on something that I picked up on so they must be geniuses uh, and uh, so it, he's already wide open and then the safety's got to try to stop him and he's got 70 pounds on that safety like it's not Colorado didn't have big dudes um, and Oregon has very big dudes and he yeah. just runs him over and gets another seven yards running him over. Um, and it was yeah. just like hilarious, you know, and that's not even like Kenny Dillingham being clever. That's like, that's just athletic. You know, yeah. That's just having the bigger, team. badder guy. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's what, I mean, the, the, so, you know, you, you opened up talking about like the trick plays and like, yeah, I, I found the trick plays, you know, interesting too, but like, Really what this game was, was, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, it was the hammer. You know, it was Oregon was running for like six, seven yard runs every single time. They weren't breaking off giant runs. There was that one by by Bucky Irving um, that went for 65. Um, but uh, other than that, really, and like a 16 yarder, it was all like six, seven yard runs that they were just like hammering them over and over and over. They had like an 80% run efficiency, but only yeah. like five and a half yards per carry, which is like, those are funny numbers sort of like you could run as much as you wanted, but like you were only going to get six yards out of it, but like fine, whatever, <laughs> we're just going to hammer you over and over and over. And, you know, we're going to hit short routes and we're going to march down the field over and over and over. Oh, and we'll throw, hit some trick plays to sort of humiliate you. But like, you know, but up until, you know, the goal line, when we do that fun stuff, like, it's just going to be like, this is just a better team. And you, you can't like a lot of times teams don't like to do that, like hammer you for like 12 plays down the field to get a touchdown kind of deal because they're, they, you know, they're, they, they sort of understand that as a college offense, they're like, Oh, I can't afford to do that. I have to hit explosive plays, you know, cause we're going to stall out if we have to extend this drive for like 10 plays or whatever. And Oregon in this game was just like, nah, we can do that. That's fine. I'll take six yards at a time. Whack, whack, yeah. whack, whack, whack all the way down the field. That was, I mean, that was the thing that, that, you know, it didn't jump out to me when I was watching the game. Cause like you, you know, and like everybody else, I was like, woo, trick plays, we, you know, but like doing yeah. the, the charting and the film review was just like, oh my God, they only really threw one deep pass. They weren't really engineering, you know, fun stuff, or, you know, for their short passes. They weren't, you know, getting explosive, you know, giant chunk yardage, you know, these like 20 yard runs. It was just the hammer over and over and over again against an overmatched opponent, um, which like that's. I don't know that I, I liked that too. You know, that's, that's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm going to say uh, two words now, which may, you know, cause some Oregon fans to break out in hives, but you know what this game looked like more than anything else. It looked like a Mario Cristobal game. It did. Yeah. Except with the quarterback um, who was completing his passes accurately. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Except for the freedom of the quarterback. Um, and, you know, granted you could, you could say that, uh, the wind played a big factor in that. Uh, sure. you know, I'm sure it did. Um, however, if, if you look at what Oregon has been able to do this year, 
Uh, that's not the first time they've been able to kind of run it down people's throats. Um, no, you know, no, you, not at all. You throw it back to September on a you know you know beautiful uh, non-weather factor day at Alton Stadium against BYU. Uh, you see the same kind of thing. You see just really just dropping that hammer with just kind of running it down the throat and running it, running it, and running it, and they can't stop it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's something that you didn't see as much of last year, um, even though we had uh, you know the the combo of, uh, of, of die. And, um, and then you had, uh, you know, like running backs coming in that had, had been with the program before. And now you have like these, you know, brand new ones. Um, the, the, the feel of it is just a little different. Um, a lot of times you would, you know, have kind of the running backs dive up the middle a lot in the last couple of years. And you'd think to yourself, uh, you know, why, why, why can't you create a little more, you know, space toward the outside for these, these backs to kind of use their speed. Uh, but I think it's like, at least from what I'm seeing, especially against Colorado here, as you mentioned, is a lot less of bouncing it to the outside. Like you used to see a lot with Kenyon Barner and Michael James under Chip Kelly. And uh, like you said, just, just these, these holes created by the offensive line, uh, just these, these pushes that they're getting uh, opening up these, these, these running lanes and that's the probably the most encouraging thing to see is that we're not just getting this from bounces to the outside and utilizing the speed of Bucky Williams, even though he is a very you know speedy back in that sense, and he he does in a lot of ways run like Michael James. It reminds me a lot of him, but uh, the, the the system that he's running in is different. And you know you were right when you said it felt Cristobal ish, you know as far as as, as just kind of like. They're getting that from these lanes that the that the offensive line is opening up, and to still see that in play um, is, is 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 awesome uh, because we all know that no matter what is going on on the field, the battles are won in the trenches. Always have been, always will be. And if your line can push and open holes and move the other team around the field, they cannot stop you. And that's uh, it, and that's exactly what they were doing to Colorado. They were just like, our line is too good. Our offensive linemen are too big and too strong for you. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing more versatile and useful in in all of football than an efficient run game. You know, it lets you do. You know, it, it lets you control the clock. It lets you control the ball. It keeps the ball out of a potentially dangerous quarterback's hands. It lets it sets up your passing game. It does everything. It, you know, it is the master key that unlocks old doors. Um, the interesting thing about this, like I, I do think there's more of the sort of bouncing outside stuff out of these backs. Like um, there's there's a little more like you know make magic to them um, than die in Verdell, or at least, you know, with, with Carlos Lachlan, you know, as the running backs coach compared to Jim Mastro as the running backs coach. Um, yeah. The, the major difference in terms of the line is not really the line. The major difference with the, the run game and, and having sort of bigger holes to run through, uh, up the middle, um, is, is safeties in the box. Like teams are not really daring to put eight safeties in the box or eight, 
you know, men in the box um, against Oregon because they know that that uh, that Knicks can pass over them. And in fact, that's exactly what Arizona found out was that when they were getting torched by the run and they started bringing the safeties down, that's when Oregon started hitting deep passes. Um, and Colorado didn't do that. And Cal didn't do that. Um, they they kept their safeties back. And Oregon's response was you know, as it should be, which is just like, oh, your safeties are going to play back. Well, well, that means we're going to have, you know, lighter boxes to deal with and we'll just run up the middle a lot. Um, and uh, UCLA sort of took a middle course. Um, and so Oregon had a sort of middle strategy. Um, so A, I like that out of Dillingham that he's, you know, that he sort of takes what the defense gives you rather than like, Oh, you know, we have a set game plan and we're going to do that no matter what the defense is doing. I like that B I like the fact that Nix is an accurate and, um, you know, greedy, I guess enough player to like to take the shots when they're there because the safeties are down. And, you know, that was one of the things that like was pretty frustrating to me watching Justin Herbert, uh, in the college version of Justin Herbert. And don't ask me why this was all I can tell you is that it was, uh, you know, a fact is that like teams would stack the box against Oregon. Um, and then, and the throw would be there and then he wouldn't make the throw. Um, and again, that can be for a variety of reasons. Don't ask me why it was, but I can a hundred percent guarantee from watching film, you know, that's what was going on. Um, and, and instead, you know, the ball, even on RPO plays where he gets to control, whether it's, you know, a handoff or not, um, would still get handed off to like, you know, crowded boxes. And so like, it's not so much the line got better this year. It's really not true at all. Um, the line is playing very well, but like Oregon's had excellent offensive lines for, for 20 years, man, you know, the, the, yeah. the difference that you're seeing is not what the line is capable of doing. The difference that you're seeing is how is the box count. And it's because yeah. teams ne- uh, in this year in 2022 have to respect, you know, what will, what would happen if they bring safeties down to the box and they can't afford that. Like they'd rather take their licks in the run game than give up a 60 yard pass. Um, the threat of Knicks is too great. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the thing that's changed. Um, is that he has the ability and the license and, you know, the, the, the wherewithal to, to throw those, if you dare to stack the box against Oregon. And that's, you know, a very refreshing, uh, change. Um, and, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, you know, so essentially like, you know, opposing defenses have to pick their poison and, and we will see going forward, you know, how teams do that. Like it's sort of interesting, you know, looking at Oregon's next three opponents, they all have sort of like very different strengths and weaknesses against run versus pass, you know, where their personnel, you know, is strong. And so like those teams are going to have to make choices and they're not playing with nearly as full of a deck as Oregon is like, that's the really nice thing about being in pole position in terms of the talent that Oregon has is just like, no matter what your opponent does, you have a good answer because you're loaded top to bottom with talent and your play sheet is green on offense and defense. And, you know, that's not true for, you know, pretty much anybody else in the league. Yeah. And that, that, that may be, you know, I'm not going to say it's the only factor, but to touch on what you were saying with Herbert, that may be definitely a contributing factor is that Knicks may just have a lot more of a green light under this coaching staff than Herbert sure. had. He also probably has better dudes to throw it to. Yeah. You know, well, like yeah. That should be said, <laughs> you know, like the, these circumstances are not totally apples to apples. Um, yeah. 
So again, there there could be a variety of reasons. Don't get me started on on, on what theories are true and what aren't. <laughs> I just, the 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 mere fact of it that like throws would be there and he wouldn't take them, um, you know, is enough to sort of explain the difference. Um, yeah, and, definitely. And the defenses could sort of get away with stacking the box. Um, all right, uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit about the upcoming game, upcoming game against Washington. So, have you been watching any of the Huskies games this year, Adam? I have, and um, I will say that uh, uh, what what we're seeing is kind of uh, what what we've seen for quite a while since uh, Peterson departed Washington. It's that uh, you 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 can you can look at the Huskies and say, yeah, they're a, you know a, a talented football team. They're a team that can move the ball up and down the field. They're going to get their wins. They're going to go to bowl games. Uh, this is still not a team that's cracking that elite status where you really think that they're a contender for a New Year Six game or whatnot. Uh, that said. You can't take them lightly. Uh, the The hatred between Oregon and Washington is about as deep and ugly as you can get, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna come with everything they have. Do I think that this is uh, still kind of a Washington team that you can look at and be like, "Oh boy, this is gonna take our you know absolute A game. We have to be on par with it." No, uh, seeing what Oregon State was able to exploit with them um, on on Friday. Uh, shows me enough that if Oregon State's able to kind of like exploit those things with Washington, I, I, I don't see Oregon having much of an issue against them offensively. Um, you're probably going to get a lot higher offensive output from Washington. Like I said, they're going to test the defensive backs a lot. They're going to take deep shots. They're, they're, you know, they're going to open it up. Uh, might look kind of similar to all those frustrating games against uh, Mike Leach coach Washington state teams. Obviously I'm, you know, not going to say that they're going to that level of air raid or anything like that, but um, it's, it's definitely well, I mean, it's close, a situation where the, uh, where the, uh, the you, you're not going to be able to stack the box quite as much. You're going to have to spread out a little more. And so uh, it's good. It's good. It's a good test uh, that I think that the, the defensive backs haven't had a, quite as much of as you might expect playing in the in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that Oregon State game was fairly instructive about where Washington is at. I mean, not just because it was their most recent game, but I mean, because literally was the second best opponent that they played all year and the best opponent that they played UCLA, you know, ran them out of the Rose Bowl. I, I mean, I know that ended as an eight point game, but that was a garbage time comeback. Like, um, you know, like, I mean, Washington's schedule has been so soft. Um, you know, that's where I thought you were going with like, hey, this team's going to bowl games. Like, well, yeah, they're seven and two. You know, they're they're going to a bowl. But I mean, like, like, I think five out of the eight. Yeah, five out of their eight FBS opponents are three and six, like exactly yeah. three and six. Kent State is three and six. So is Stanford. So is Arizona State. So is Arizona. So is Cal. And Arizona State beat them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. and like Arizona, it, 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 like Cal was in a position to tie it, you know, late in that game. Um, in fact, you know, we're we're you know effectively shut them down in the first half. Um, Arizona was in a position, you know, to to win that game too. Like you know, if a couple different officiating decisions go the other way, Arizona definitely could have walked out of that game with a win. Um, you know, I'm not saying there was a conspiracy or anything. Just that that game was close enough that like, you know. 
it's not like the Huskies blew them out, you know, not even close. No. Um, and it's a three. Washington is not a top 25 team. Yeah. Despite what the, despite what the AP says, they are not a top 25 team. And, and, and I mean, like, you know, Michigan state's four and five Portland state is four and five. Although Michigan state just had a very interesting win over Illinois, which may be fairly significant down the road. But anyway, the, um, uh, uh, like the the yeah so that beavers game like that's about as close as the as as washington has played to like a peer program to them right now um and like jonathan smith kind of screwed that game up you know it's not just the field goal stuff you know that everybody sort of talks about but like just you know he didn't seem to recognize that like he had a huge rushing offensive advantage on them and a terrible passing offensive so they were like passing the ball in first down which is dumb like and uh, like, even though Washington's past defense is not any good, like, you know, like just they don't have a good quarterback and they don't, their tackles are not as good um, as they have been in the past and they weren't really keeping him clean and he can't scramble. Um, and so it was just like, like uh, my friend Parker Fleming, um, who writes for uh, Frogs of War, uh, our sister site that covers TCU, um, you know, releases uh, among many uh, interesting advanced stats graphics. He he releases um, net success rate graphics for each weekend, which is basically you know it, 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 the the winning team's success rate minus the losing team's success rate. And you know, most teams, you know, you win if you have a better success rate than your opponent. But it's a question of like how much better it was. That's you know, so the far right side of the graph. You know, so like Notre Dame over Clemson was a massive success rate win. You know, like Notre Dame just hammered the hell out of Clemson. Well, you know who's on the far left end of the graph? Those are you know, you won, but you got outplayed by your opponent, and so your opponent probably had some coaching problems well the the number one such team of week 10 uh, a game uh, was uh was south carolina beating vanderbilt which i didn't watch like who the hell's watching that game um but number two was uh washington beating oregon state like oregon state was so far ahead of washington in terms of their success rate um it was really like borderline coaching malpractice um for jonathan smith yeah. to have lost that game um like they really gave the huskies a gift there um and, uh, and you know what? I, I think Bo Nix is probably a little bit better of a quarterback than Ben Gilbranson. Um, you know, I think that <laughs> I think Oregon's, it's safe to say that I, I think that Oregon's offensive tackles are a little bit better than Oregon State's. Um, I, I think that Kenny Dillingham probably is not going to make, you know, dumb coaching mistakes in terms of the offense. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that probably Oregon's going to have, you know, more or less anything that they want uh, against the Huskies um, in Autzen Stadium. And, you know, it'll be interesting to watch on the defense, you know, because the one thing that the Huskies do well is throw the ball. And, and if Oregon has a vulnerability this year, it is in their pass defense. But like, oh, hell, man, you know, they but but here's the thing is Penix doesn't really hit long bombs. He's sort of a, you know, he, he's the guy who converts third and, and 12 with 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 a with a 17 yard pass you know he'll get that but like hitting you know 50 yards down the field like single play touchdown drives that's really not really no. how you he's know not an ex- he's not an explosive deep threat thrower so like you know if if washington is in a position where they're giving up touchdowns every drive um which like their defensive success success rates versus oregon's offensive success rates suggest that that's probably going to be pretty close to reality um that like, 
you know, the, the only way that Washington stays in it is with quick scores. And I, I sort of don't really see an ability for them to do quick scores, you, you know, either like not to say that that is impossible to happen. I certainly hope I'm not jinxing it here. I'm knocking on wood right now. Um, but uh, uh, like, yeah, you know, Washington would need to play. I guess I'll put it this way. The, you know, having charted all their games, um, which I have at this point, um, the, just the, the 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 advanced stats you know strengths versus weaknesses you know or matchups between these two teams suggest that the only way Washington's winning this game is if they play substantially differently than they have played in the past um or you know in terms of like hitting some explosive plays that have eluded them or having a better rush defense than than they've had so far um, or just crazy, you know, it's college football, crazy stuff, you know, it's like yeah. special teams, you know, walking it, which like, there's no way to predict that stuff. So I usually don't mention it, but obviously it is, you know, always a possibility, you know, it's a rivalry game, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, considering and considering that there's no heavy rain or high winds forecast for the game, at least not right now. Yeah. Um, you, you'll, you'll be giving Bo Nix well, I, every opportunity to air it out. So it, well, I don't, talk I, I don't see them stopping that. It rain is impossible. Remember where it's being played. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh. Yeah. You know. And the other thing is that I, I know that you know everybody's looking forward to the Utah game. Like that's going to be a pretty you know serious opponent, and we'll you know that that game that weekend and the other big game in the Pac-12 that weekend, the USC UCLA game. Those games are probably like semifinals for the Pac-12 championship game. Um, yeah. And so you might be a little worried. Oh, maybe they're looking ahead or whatever. But like this is a rivalry game in Autzen Stadium. They've had two easy opponents, you know, to like catch their breath. You know, there's no way they're overlooking Washington. It's just not going to no. happen. Like, no. you know, the, the animosity they, and the hatred is just too deep to overlook yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, no, I just really d- doubt that that's a, you know, going to be, you know, factor either. So uh, really, yeah, uh, you know, the, 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 the two things that I mentioned, you know, a moment ago are not impossible, but they are things that would have to happen and uh, which are, you know, for Washington to play substantially differently um, in terms of explosive uh, offense and, um, and uh, rushing defense uh, or <clears throat> crazy special teams, you know, or other other forms of like wacky mistakes and turnovers, which, uh, you know, Oregon again, knock on wood has been, um, pretty, uh, good at, at preventing. So, um, so yeah, you know, on the, on the fundamentals, this looks like, you know, I think this line opened up at 12 and it's already been bet up to 13 and a half. Um, uh, you know, like a, this, this sort of looking like a, at least a two score win, um, on the fundamentals, which, you know, again, like it's college football, man, like the, yeah. know, the one thing that's always a sure bet is weird thing is going to happen. So. Of course. I think the one thing I'm just going to be keeping my eye on is uh, the defensive backs. And um, I would really like to see Oregon hold Washington to under 30 points. Um, that will I, I be, think, I think given how much Oregon's going to score, I definitely see them scoring 40 plus against Washington that it still won't be an issue, but I, 
I would like to see them hold Washington under 30. Yeah, something like a 45 to 30 score feels about right. Um, you know, where Washington gets some of theirs, but just Oregon is just outpacing them. Like, yeah, that that feels about right. Now, we did I I did promise that we talk about this, you know, in the last segment. So, it will be interesting with Jamal Hill out for the first half, um how they respond to that and just generally, you know, like how they're going to respond to Washington. So, like against Arizona, which is like Washington is a um, a better team, although not that much better than Arizona, but they have a very similar statistical profile in terms of like what quadrants of football their efficiency rates, you know, wh- where their efficiency rates fall at the four different quadrants of football. They sort of just look like Arizona. They kind of look like a slightly better clone of Arizona, like Arizona's older brother. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, um, the, 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 it was interesting you know, in particular, because Arizona, like the, the thing that they're good at is, is throwing the ball. Uh, it's sort of like the same, you know, intermediate routes that Washington likes to, um, and, uh, and with some fairly talented wide receivers and with a quarterback who's like very, you know, like he has a quick release and he gets rid of the ball. Penix is throwing motions a little weird, but whatever it gets out of the ball, the ball gets out of his hand fast enough. Um, and uh, the way that Oregon played him was really interesting. They went to a 33 stack for much of the game where it, where a, they were playing, you know, three down linemen and three inside linebackers. So that was interesting. And B is they were playing three cornerbacks and they were moving Gonzalez in because Gonzalez is their best cornerback. They were moving. Him, they were just having him mirror uh, Jacob Cowing, number two for Arizona, who's like their most sort of dangerous, I guess I would say, receiver. Like McMillan has the most like NFL upside, but like simply because of his measurables. But anyway, um, so yeah, they were playing three ILBs and three corners in that game. That was really interesting. And I, I think that they might want to go to that because like uh, this is not um, previous Washington teams where they were throwing the ball to the tight end a ton. They're really not doing that 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 much this year. They're pretty much throwing the ball to they've got three good wide receivers. um, Well, two really good outside wide receivers in McMillan and Adunze and then Polk is sort of their third guy. But they've also got Taj Davis. They've got Giles Jackson. Um, You know, they've got a couple other wide receivers um, and then throw the ball to the running back quite a bit. Um, Not so much to the tight end. And so like having a big nickel in the form of Hill, um, not so much necessary for, for, you know, that, that matchup advantage is not necessarily what you want. They may replicate. I think if I had to put like a nickel down on this question, I think they might replicate the Arizona defensive strategy and play some 33 with three cornerbacks. And so you may very well get your wish and see some Jaleel Florence, um, or some Dante Manning, um, playing significant minutes in this game. Um, you know, uh, they, uh, they may want to do that. They, they may want to like spin down instead of from cover two, which they've been playing a lot of, they may want to play like a cover one with like Addison way back and then play like some combination of obviously, you know, bridges and Gonzalez are going to be playing. I think Addison may be playing back. And then I think they'd, they might play Bennett Williams, and um and then one of the the younger cornerbacks you know florence or dante manning um i think that might be their nickel configuration for this game and it may be that even though hill comes back in the second half that they don't 
want to play him. You know, maybe that 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 uh, uh, well, in 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 you know, with the with the exception of like maybe short yard situations and other like obvious running situations, um, you know, where he's his he's useful for that too. Um, but like, yeah, against their sort of standard configuration in which Washington passes, I think they pass like three quarters of the time, something like that, out of standard downs. Um, Hill may not really have a, a, a big part to play in this particular defensive structure. It will be interesting to see. And, and like I said, you may get your wish and you may see some of these young cornerbacks who like, I, yeah, I'm really excited to see too. Cause you know, Gonzalez isn't going to stick around after this year. He's going to the NFL. That dude's a first round draft pick. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, getting some good playing time for the kiddos at cornerback would be good too. Yeah, definitely. We got a lot of, got a lot of young raw talent there and I'm looking forward to it. Um, so should be should be a good one, and uh, let's just uh, thank God that it's being broadcast on Fox instead of FS1, so we don't have to <laughs> listen to uh, purposely biased commentators talk about how great Washington is. Yeah, right. Well, I, I don't know if you're going to get your wish, man. I, I'm I'm fairly certain they're going to put Brock Heward on this call. Oh um, boy. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Like I, he's he's actually not been that terrible. Um, uh, the you know, I remember he was a little while ago. He was like dancing to to shout when he was calling a game at Austin Stadium. Yeah, I think maybe over the past thirty odd years, the animosity maybe has worn off a little bit on him. Uh, we shall have to see. Um, the 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 you know, and the mute button is always an option. <laughs> it's it's how I review films, certainly. All right, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? Um, I'm just going to uh, say that um, Oregon needs to stay focused no matter what. Um, this this last three games are all going to be big ones. Uh, take nobody for granted. Uh, go out there, put get your A game on because this is uh, this is crunch time. So looking forward to some good performances and some great games here. Uh, I am always looking forward to games in Autzen Stadium because uh, it never rains in Autzen Stadium and it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>